Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the question and answer session from Sunday the 21st of February 2010 with Brother Brian Beaver, Pastor Larry T. Curtis and Brother Steve Elliott. What are our God-given rights on self-defense? Defend yourself. <laughs> Stand long and fall last. Yeah, right. Stand long and fall last. Um, we have a God-given right to defend ourselves, but we got to realize that we're we're defending a cause that's bigger than us too. So, but I think you do have a right, especially you guys that and ladies that are married and some that are getting ready to be married. Uh, you have a you have a responsibility to the ones that you love to defend them. And I thank God. Um, I thank I thank God expects us to defend those that we love the most. Amen. Well, I spent five years in the Air Force, so that was you know again I was proud to defend. I felt like I was defending my family uh, and uh, and my country, and I feel like that's that's an honorable thing. At the same time, I never had any desire to uh, hurt or kill any other human being, uh, but I think that. Uh, be hard pressed to look through the scriptures and not to find that uh, you know would take a stand. At the same time, it's getting that balance with turning the other cheek. A lot of times, we're so concerned about uh, proving how tough we are and standing that we ought to be willing to hurt and suffer ourselves um, in order to uh, to have peace with uh, with others. Sometimes, and uh, that does not in any way come natural in the flesh, uh, because when somebody does something to you, it's natural to want to uh, to strike back. Uh, but uh, I think my greater responsibility is to defend my family than it is to defend myself even, uh, but uh, that's me. Okay, here's a good theological one. Jesus is described as being of the line of David, but is born of the Holy Spirit and of Mary. So what does this heritage of Jesus matter? Well, we've, um, we've just actually been going through a little bit uh, of this in the Sunday school, um, it's important to realize that um, Jesus came both, uh, comes both from a kingly line, from King David, uh, but he's also, obviously, he's got a physical line as well, which comes through Mary. And um, those two things can be seen, I think it's chapter 4 or 5 of, of, of Luke, and also chapter 1 of Matthew. And it's very um, interesting to look at the genealogies. You know, sometimes when we look at the genealogies, we think, oh, all these names and, you know, they seem to repeat themselves time and time again and they look boring. But the genealogies are very, very important. And um, it's, it's very interesting to see the line that the Lord Jesus came from and uh, to see that it stopped at David and, um, sorry, at, at Joseph. And Joseph was also, he was a son of David. Um, from the kingly line. And we know that, obviously, we, we believe in the virgin birth, so Jesus wasn't born from the seed of Joseph. He was born from the seed of God. Um, so that makes Jesus the son of God. But um, Jesus was in the line of David uh, to inherit the throne. Um, and we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ came, that the Jews rejected Jesus as their king. But one day, when he returns... And he sets up his millennial kingdom. He will one day again be the king. And, um, you know, so it is important, um, both lines. Does prayer change God's mind or plans? 
Well, yeah. Um, you think about Abraham when he prayed. Uh, you think about Moses when he prayed. He changed God from the evil that he wanted to do to the children of Israel, and God relented of it. And Abraham prayed, and um, when Lot was there, and he said, you know, and God said, okay. He was going to smite the city, and, and Abraham prayed and said, Lord, what if there be 30? He went to 20, and then he went to 10. He said, you know, if there be 10, I'll spare the city. And unfortunately, it wasn't even 10 in the city, but he he did spare Lot and his, you know, his his daughters. And um, so, yeah, I believe God. I believe prayer. Of course, God's sovereign. I, you know, and, and, and to put your hands around that and try to wrap your arms around the sovereignty of God is very difficult. But I think there's times when God's acquainted with our grief. Our prayers maybe change his wanting to chastise us when we come to him and we repent can re- make him relent of the maybe the chastisement and lead us in directions to where the trials of life come into our life to help us instead of him having to take us, so to speak, to the woodshed, you know what I mean, and having to really correct us, all right? So, uh, yeah, and I think I think especially more illustrations in the Old Testament than we have in the New, that there were people who prayed, and it changed God's mind about uh, what he was going to do. Yeah, just just uh, again, I think it's getting your head around the fact that uh, you know none of that caught God by surprise, uh, because when you try to think of God's omniscience and absolutely knowing everything, uh, God already knows every prayer that you will pray, uh, and I think prayer is one of those things that it's just it's it's hard for us to grasp how that it can be so powerful, and yet God is unchangeable. There's something we will never change about God, and God's will and purpose are going to be the same. But I certainly, as uh, Brother Brian has stated, the, the Bible shows us that when it comes to individually, our prayers will change how God deals with us. Even the prayer of repentance changes how God will deal with us one day. Uh, although that God already knew uh, that that was going to take place. So that's all part of his plan. Uh, and uh, uh, so, again, I, w- I would recommend uh, Murray's books on prayer if you've never, or Ian e. Bounds' books on, on prayer. Uh, uh, they're, they're they're both good on on the subject, but uh, Ian Bounds' books are, are are classic. There's five or six in the in the series, and uh, tremendous that uh, every Christian ought to read. Do babies and children that don't understand our Lord and Savior go to heaven? Well, this has been debated a long time, and there's no chapter and verse to go to on it. But uh, most of us that uh, would consider ourselves uh, uh, Orthodox, conservative, evangelical Christians. I would certainly believe that uh, uh, a child is not saved, but a child is safe in the arms of the Lord until that time that he becomes accountable for his sin, knows right from wrong, and is able to understand. Uh, And at that point, then he becomes accountable uh, for that sin uh, and therefore must must repent of himself. And so I believe that there is a safe period. Uh, I think it's difficult sometimes to, you know, I I know some people that have... uh, come to the Lord and been saved at you know, four, five, six years old. Uh, others, it might be 10, 11, 12 years old. I think the hard thing for us is that never tra- take for granted uh, that uh, they're safe because they're a child. Always take every opportunity to present the gospel. Um, we want every child to come to Christ at as early an age as is possible. Uh, but at the same time, uh, 
believe there is a period of time that uh, uh, until a child can become accountable. And then that same argument, uh, not exactly in here, but uh, you know, there are some people that maybe have an older body, but they remain a child mentally. Uh, and again, I believe that uh, one has to become accountable uh, to for their for their sin. We're all born sinners, uh, and uh, it's 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 something that God doesn't give us a chapter and verse to go through. But I believe the principles that are laid down that we can uh, we can certainly uh, say that. Yes, I don't know if you you probably almost know the um, the story of uh, King David when he uh, he sinned against Bathsheba. Um, and the baby died. This was the outcome of uh, adultery with uh, with Bathsheba. And um, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23, uh, the baby died. And um, it says this in verse 23, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Was there any point in fasting? Now, now he's dead. And he says, can I bring him back again? And then he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So I believe David had a um, an understanding that he would go to be with uh, with that young one that that had passed on. Are there ghosts, and if so, why aren't they in heaven? Well, first of all, to answer the first part of the question, no, there aren't any ghosts. I don't believe the Holy that. Ghost. The Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah, which we know that you know is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, but uh. I believe that the, that the Bible teaches a doctrine of, you know, angelology and demonology, that there's demons. And uh, uh, so sometimes um, that's that's what they would, I guess, demonstrate themselves as more than a ghost. And so the first part of the question is no, which would answer the second part, because if so, why aren't they in heaven? Wouldn't be even a an option. So... I don't really believe that ghosts exist. I believe that I believe there's demon activity because we know that the devil is the prince and power of the air of this world and this atmosphere we live in, and he's the one that, that yes, yeah. Why would why would they present themselves to the family after they've already been gone? Yeah, yeah. That's a very difficult question to answer. I know that uh, I know that the Bible strictly forbids us from uh, you know talking to the dead. It forbids that, you know, it's called necronapsy, and we ought not do that. We ought not try to summon the spirits of, of those that are dead. So obviously if it's telling us to not do it, then there's obviously people that are, and we need to be, we need not do that. But, um, you know, I, I believe in demon activity. I believe there's times when we entertain angels unaware. I could go to specifically two instances where I know, I believe, I believe I know that I was entertaining an angel. Um, but you know, for to say it was a ghost, no, I I, I don't believe that. Yeah, again, I think yeah, I think you have some real theological issues. The Bible teaches us very clearly that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, uh, for a, a Christian's spirit to remain behind after they've gone would contradict the Word of God. And of course, we we know that uh, just as surely that the. Uh, the great example that uh, that Jesus gave us in, in Scripture of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And when he left this world lost, he lifted up his eyes being in torment, and he was in Hades. 
And uh, so I don't believe that there's any place. I believe the same thing applies. You know, there is no in-between world. Uh, we know that uh, uh, that we have those out there, uh, our Catholic friends of one, that, that, that believes that, uh, you know, there is a, an interim place a lot of times and that people can be prayed uh, out of that. They call it purgatory. It's not mentioned in Scripture, but... Uh, uh, I, I, the scriptures deny any in between. It tells us specifically when we leave this body where we uh, where we go, and I agree with uh, with Brother Brian. As a matter of fact, that does get in, and there's no way the next question is slightly related when it says, uh, "Did God create the devil?" And second part, somebody has said we each have two angels. Is this true? Uh, well, firstly, yes, God created everything that exists. Uh, and Satan was created in perfection, just like everything else. And he fell because of his pride, uh, because he wanted to raise himself uh, not only to the same level, but higher than God himself. And it was his pride that caused him to fall. And, uh, and of course, that's where we find that now uh, he is the prince of this world. He is the God of this world. Both both words in the New Testament uh, translated meaning ruler of this world, speaking of this world system, not the plants and the trees out there, but the world system that we that we live in. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, that's why that, again, there are a lot of things and a lot of this, again, a lot to cover. But uh, if you go to our website... The last series we've been going through here at the church is Contending for the Faith. The last five sermons that are on there, which is something like Sermons 28 through 33, is the truth about Satan. And it covers a lot of these very things in detail on there, where he came from, uh, what he was like, what he is like now. Uh, But to give you the short answer, yes, he was created, but he was created in perfection before he fell. And as far as having two angels, I don't know of anywhere in Scripture that it tells us any certain specific number of angels. I've, I guess we all hear wives' tales and, and, and some of these things all along. We do know that there are angels. Uh, and as uh, Brother Brian has already said, you know, the Bible tells us that we can even entertain angels unaware. Uh, God can send them there and they can be there for our protection. And yes, I'm just as certain there have been experiences in my life when I have absolutely no doubt that it was God's hand and sometimes in the form of an angel uh, that uh, has been there for me. And so, again, remember, God is sovereign. He has all power. And if he wants to use the angels to protect you and to be there with you, then uh, then he will do so. And it's a wonderful thing. Just, just have faith and trust him uh, however he wants to do it. He may use other people. He may use angels. But he's going to uh, to be there for you. Um, well, the next one is a very personal thing, and I don't know that, that any of us can can answer it. And certainly, Christians can have uh, uh, different uh, opinions about them. Uh, once you're married, should you use contraception at all? Uh, now, I would be amiss if I didn't say that there are there are some Christians that would say absolutely not. Uh, that you should not, that you should just just, just trust God. Uh, I would say that uh, the majority of believers would feel that, uh, you know, we probably have a responsibility there and that uh, that there is no prohibition uh, in Scripture. Uh, I would simply say that uh, relationships God designed to be one of the most beautiful relationships in all the world it's meant to be between a husband and wife and no one else. I don't care how much they love each other. I don't care how many promises they've made to each other. 
is meant to be within marriage. It's meant to be something special. Uh, and the world has cheapened it and taken it away. And certainly it is the way that God has given us to replenish this earth. And, uh, and I, I think that it would be wrong of me to miss you. If somebody honestly feels in their heart that the right thing for them is to not use contraception and let God have complete control of how many children that they have, then uh, that's between them and God, and I will respect that. Uh, but I would say also that it would be wrong to be judgmental of someone that did. And if it is for you personally that you're asking the question, then it's something that you and your husband or wife, I don't know if this was male or female, but uh, uh, should pray earnestly together about. Uh, no God's will. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, um, you know, the Lord blessed us with, uh, uh, with, with six children. And... Uh, you know, I guess the thing is that uh, ultimately we didn't really know and plan when we got married to have six children. It was something God took us a step at a time. And there was times when we thought we were through, and then we changed our minds and had more. Um, and so, uh, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't think there's a chapter and verse, but I think that uh, um, it's a good question. Remember that uh, uh, what the re- relations are there for a husband and a wife and what they're for and be honorable and, and, and pray earnestly about it together. Either one of you gentlemen have anything to add? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take this next one and answer it real quick. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. Well, there was one more in this box, and then we'll move on to the next one he's got here. Um, is it lack of faith if I still feel pain from what happened in the past, no, I think I think pain, um, well, pain goes very deep, and you know we have a, a saying, don't we? That sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think sometimes um, that pain can be there for a very long time. Um, but as uh, Brother Brian was speaking this morning about bitterness and letting that root take root and um, getting a hold of us, um, and really I think the main thing is we need to try and find forgiveness. Uh, but, you know, we do have a memory, and sometimes when we look back and we, we think on things sometimes, those things that have gone on in the past can sometimes uh, can hurt us. Um, but I think in the case of bitterness, as uh, Brian was saying this morning, it's so important not to let it get a grip and, and get a root in there and... Uh, but, as you know, the Bible says that we need to, uh, to forgive one another. But I think pain does run deep, and uh, sometimes it's, it can be down there. You know. Yeah, I don't think it's a black and white question. Uh, I'd simply say that, you know, uh, reading what Brother Steve has said, but at the same time, you know, we can face a lot of things in life because of a lack of faith. And if it's a lack of faith that, that you're having trouble accepting God's forgiveness for it, then, then, then yes, it can. By the same token, I have no trouble accepting God's forgiveness for things that I did in my young adult life when I went away from the Lord. There are things there, there are scars that are there, though God has completely forgiven me. There are things that if I could undo, I would go back and undo them a hundred times over. There's things that I still, if I remember those things, that uh, I, I have absolutely... I don't feel guilty over the fact of, of God not forgiving me for them, but uh, 
uh, hopefully I can learn from those things because one thing that it's planted real within me, some of the pain of remembrance of not myself, but things that I did to others or the effect that I had on others uh, is one thing that has, uh, if you would, concreted in me that there there is absolutely not a bone in my body that would ever want to go back to living in the world again. And part of it is because of some of the the scars that are left from that uh, because of the effect that my life as a believer walking away from God, the effect that it had on others and some of that long term. Uh, so it's not wrong, but it is wrong as if, if you're hanging on to the fact and still letting the devil beat you over the head with it when you've already sought and you've asked God for forgiveness for it and God's put it behind you. And, you know, that's part of what when Paul was talking about as we go through life, you know, forgetting those things which are behind but looking ahead. And he says, pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We've got a new goal in life. And uh, so don't let the devil beat you over the head with past sins and take away your joy and feel pain that way. Maybe it is because of a lack of faith. Um, at the same time, you know, you, you go out and, and, and you take a gun and you murder somebody. Uh, a murderer can get forgiveness from God, but it won't bring that person back to life just because they've got forgiveness. There are scars that remain that are consequences of our sins sometimes. That's not any lack of forgiveness. And so uh, don't hold on to pain because, uh, uh, because that uh, you're having trouble believing that God has forgiven you. Uh, learn from those things and rejoice in the fact that, that God has forgiven you for it and that, that you're a new person. And if anything, that... Uh, uh, you know, let it give you a greater determination to walk closer to the Lord because you realize the pitfalls that can be out there in the world. I've never met a person, and certainly this pastor never, ever planned to backslide on the Lord. I've never met a person that decided, well, one week from now or 30 days from now, I'm going to turn around and go back into the world again. Uh, you know, the devil is sly. The Bible tells us that he uses his trickery. Uh, and it's a little step at a time, and uh, so let us let us learn from those things, but uh, not hold on to uh, to pain. Well, I think you got the theological encyclopedia out here. <laughs> you got one you want to do there? Yeah, yeah. This one says, "Is your hairstyle according to God's will?" <laughs> I would have to probably say yes, because and according to the Marines Handbook. That's right. According according to to the will of God, I believe it is because um, heaven is supposed to be a place that's bright and shiny and no parting over there, and that's what my head. So anyway, if a person is not a believer in Christ, he is lost in his sins. How can God hate the sins but love the sinner? As a person, how am I separate? From the sins I commit, I am the one who lied, stole, etc. In the Old Testament, it is written that God hates the sinner. Well, I don't. I, uh, what, what verse is being referred to there in the Old Testament? Uh, the uh, the thing in in beginning that I do know for absolute fact, though, is that. Uh, sorry. Maybe maybe that's the verse, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Steve says, maybe you're talking about not that God hates the sinner, but that he's angry with, with the sinner. Uh, God does get angry, even though he's never sinned, just like we're to be angry and sin not. Um, you know, everybody 
Brother Brian said it earlier this week, and I've said it many times. You know, the Bible teaches us that we are all born in iniquity. Uh, we're all sinners when we are born. It is the natural thing for us to sin. Uh, and, uh, you know, we sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. Uh, and unfortunately, that's why we need the new birth. Uh, that sinful nature needs to be put to death. Uh, and we need a new nature in Christ. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one, one thing that really correlates is this is, is oftentimes people say, well, how do I control this same anger with other people? We're talking about God controlling it with us and hating. Well, you know, the natural thing a lot of times if somebody does something to hurt you, you just naturally want to, uh, to get recompense, to, to get even, to do something to, uh, to make life just as miserable or more miserable for them. Um, I encourage people. You know, the only way that you can love the sinner that is despitefully using you on purpose, intentionally uh, trying to bring harm to you, is we need to feel compassion instead of anger. How do we feel compassion for someone that's trying to hurt us, uh, that's, that's working against us? Well, we realize that that person is being controlled by something other than God. It is their sinful nature that is in control. It is not they that is our enemies. Satan is the enemy that we have. And it is the result of Satan and sin that that person is doing what they're doing. Feel compassion towards them because they are being controlled by their sinful nature. They need Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ came to die for us. Uh, not after we did something to, uh, to, to better ourselves. Um, we can't even begin to imagine how much God hates sin. Uh, but he knows that we sin because of our sin nature. And he knows that we had absolutely no control over that and could do nothing about it. That's why he put on flesh and came and died on the cross so that it could be overcome because he had compassion for us in the fact that we were being controlled by that sin. We were enslaved literally by that sin. Uh, so, so, so recognize, you know, you know, sin is a horrible thing to God, but God has done everything he can to keep you from being controlled by that sin, by that sinful nature that you might be set free. And uh, who's got something they want to add? I'm just, uh, on the moment, I'm, I've just finished the book of... Um Exodus. Um, but when you see how much God hates sin in the Old Testament and the judgments that he brought upon the people, his people that he loved and he brought out of Egypt, uh, it's a very serious thing. And even complaining, you know, which is uh, what people did to Moses. And, um, you know, it wasn't just one or two people that God judged. The Bible says that thousands were slain and even the earth opened up and swallowed um, live people whole. And this is how much God hates sin. He does. He, he hates sin. But he is a merciful God. And, you know, God gave the children of Israel many, many opportunities in the Old Testament. Um, but it, God is a merciful God. Um, and thank God that, you know, he saved us from our sins. And, um, you know... The Bible says that we can never lose our salvation, but um, 
you know, God is the, the Bible says that he is the same God yesterday, today and forever. And uh, sin, God hates it. Uh, it's very serious to him. Even complaining, you know, something that we might do day by day. But uh, just to see the judgments that God brought upon the people in the Old Testament shows um, how serious sin is to God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often say we're not, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And the only way to con- conceive that in your mind is you were born that way. And uh, number one, I don't think that there's a verse of Scripture in the Bible where it says anywhere where God hates and it hates the individual who is a sinner. He hates their transgression, like he was saying. And the only way you got to go back to the Old Testament uh, sacrifice to the fact that the sacrifice was made to cover sin. But John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Our sin wasn't covered by the blood. It was washed by the blood. So it's gone. Past, present, and future. Doesn't mean you have you don't have to confess it. But I guess that's how you 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 rash you know, you 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 conceive it in your mind as the sin is separated from the sin from the sinner. The only way it can happen is through the blood. But I don't quite know how to answer the question when it's put that way, Tyler, about to ab- being abstract. Um, I think we have to understand that Jesus has to be the thing that separates us from our sin. He, we, we, can't, we can't, even in our best state, we could keep the Ten Commandments for a year and not break a one of them, and it would still mean that we deserve hell. And that, that's what's so precious about the blood and about our, 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 our substitution. He was the substitution for our sin. So he was in our place. God placed on him the sin of us all. Yeah, and the only thing I'd say there as far as the, the, the personal, the abstractness is, is again, I, I just take it back to the fact, remember why a person is sinning. We are responsible. We have a choice. None of us are made to sin, and yet we are enslaved to sin until we're set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. A sinner can't do anything but sin. Now, some sin, some sin more violently than others. There, there's no question there's different levels of it, but a sinner can only sin. That's why I say, you know, doesn't don't let it shock you when you look around sometimes and wonder, how can people do this in the world, and how can they do that, and how can they act like this? Well, they're acting like sinners. That's what they're supposed to be. Uh, that's what they are because of their, their nature. And so we are accountable and responsible for our sins. Um, you know, again, this is part of what's covered in the, in, the, in the truth about Satan. You know, people talk about, you know, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. He's a wily old booger, and he can tempt, and he can put all kinds of, of testing things there. But you made the choice to sin every time that you sin, and we have to take responsibility for that. And it's in our nature. And until we get the new nature, we have no option except to sin. But once we have that new nature, the Lord Jesus Christ living within us, only then are we free from sin. Only then do we ever have a choice for the first time not to sin because we have something greater to control us. And uh, uh, so it is very, very personal. Okay. Uh, Revelation says that Jesus will rule with an iron rod. What does this mean? Well, it means that he'll have uh, he'll have total authority, and he will be the perfect disciplinarian. Uh, 
when he comes back during the millennial reign, he will have it will be a theocracy again. He will sit on the throne of David. He'll rule from New Jerusalem, and it says he'll rule with a rod of iron. Um, it's a it's a sign of power and authority. Don't means he might just have a rod and iron. You know, I know a lot of people say, "Well, is that literally what it's going to look like? He's just going to have this big rod of iron, and he's going to be sitting on the throne." You know, no, it's a sign of power and authority. Okay. Yeah, I just second that again. It's just, it is a symbolic thing that's that's used in in Revelation, just as with many things, and uh, yeah, to rule with an iron fist, to rule with an iron rod, uh, is something that uh, that shows that the, there'll be no wavering. You know, he will be firm. He will be uh, straight down the line, and and he will rule like it's been meant to be ruled uh, with his full authority. Um, was Judas cursed for giving up Jesus, even though it was prophesied in the Old Testament? And predestined by God, and if he did believe in Jesus after that, would he still be saved? Well, it's difficult from the standpoint that we know that uh, Judas was the son of perdition. Um, you know, we even say, you know, I've certainly used the term before. You know, uh, the devil incarnate <laughs> uh, in the flesh. Um, but uh, yes, God knew, and God has often in Scripture used sinners. To accomplish His will, not just save people, um, and uh, and God, in His foreknowledge, knew. I, I do not, for a moment, think that we have any scripture to point us to the fact that God decided before creation that Judas was never going to have a prayer; that He was going to be the one to do this. Um, I believe that uh, uh, that God did, in His foreknowledge, know Judas, and He used Judas to accomplish His will, just as He has other lost people, not because God made him do that. God knew the choices he was going to make, and therefore God used that in his divine will to accomplish his work. Uh, you know, God does not ordain sin in your life, and yet one of the things when we go back to, you know, I guess we one of the verses that we use in a very positive sometimes, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to God's purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. The truth is all things, that includes bad things and good things. That includes even sin. All things work together for good. Not because God ever designed or forced or ordained sin in your life, but something good will come out of it, even if it means through his chastisement, through his correcting, through him making you what that he will have you to be. Uh, he will bring that and bring something good out of it in your life because he is in control to the ultimate end that one day. It may even be that, you know, what comes from that sin is chastisement, but from that chastisement comes the correction that you need to one day be made and conformed into the very image of Jesus Christ himself. And so that's not condoning sin. Matter of fact, you know, earlier uh, when the question is asked, you know, is, you know, because grace abound, does, you know, do do we want sin to abound all the more? In other words, you know, so that that uh, if, if grace is so great, should we sin so that God's grace can be seen so greatly? And he uses the words, God forbid. Uh, how dare not just that we don't, how dare we even think such a thought uh, that uh, that sin would be something that God would uh, would, would want in, in any way. And so, uh, you know, God knew the, the choices that Judas would make, and God used those choices to accomplish his will. But I certainly don't think that uh, uh, that God forced Judas to do what he did in order to accomplish his will. Yeah, I think it's the same when you think about Pharaoh as well, um, the king of Egypt, when the children of Israel, um, you know, they asked to, 
to come out of Egypt and um, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. Um, God knew, just like he knew about Judas, you know, because God is all-knowing. And he knew the choices that he would make. But, um, he, you know, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but he wouldn't let them go. Um, and God knew all about this before. And, um, you know, God, God used this in his, in his plan to, uh, to set judgments upon uh, the children of, um, of Egypt as well. Um, and we know the story of, uh, of the Passover. Um, so I think it's the same thing, really, that happened with, uh, with Judas. And God knows. He knows those that are going to be saved. He knows those that are going to reject. We don't. And basically, that's why we need to let everybody know uh, the gospel. If we did, no. Like some people say that, you know, some are, some are um, called and some are not. We don't know who is and who isn't. So basically, we need to go to every every man, woman, and child, and let them know um, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we, you know, there isn't a mark on people to say that that person's going to be saved or isn't. Um, God has just God has made it like this, and um, He wants us to preach the gospel to every creature. So. Okay, we need to try to move some of these. This what are the twenty-four elders in the Book of Revelation? <coughs> as they cannot be angels or save people. However, they are kings and priests. Well, you wouldn't be asking the question if the Bible told you exactly who they are there. Uh, as with much prophecy, it leaves uh, room for, uh, I guess, uh, uh, sometimes uh, having to uh, to figure out just what it symbolizes. I can tell you that probably one of the most common things that that in, in prophecy most think would think that the 24 is symbolic of is that's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes of Israel out of the Old Testament, the 12 uh, apostles, which are the foundation of the church in the New Testament, all being brought together in, in, in one. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as naming and telling us specifically who is sitting there, uh, I know of no place, and I can only speculate as, as others can, uh, but I think that that is a very strong possibility as to why that there's 24 of them because uh, there will come a time when uh, in reality, uh, though in Christ right now there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, uh, but there will come a time in reality when that uh, uh, we'll all be, be, be at one with him, and I, I think it's very likely that the... Uh, uh, the 24 elders could uh, could well represent that. Any other speculation, gentlemen? No, I was just going to say that um, <clears throat> I think it has to be symbolic of those that have been redeemed because it says in Revelation chapter 5 that the foreign beast, which are living creatures, and the foreign 20 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb, having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And then it says, They sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by thy blood. So this is this is re- the redeemed of all the ages. That's the patriarchs and the, all the 12 tribes of it. Everybody that's been redeemed. And like I've said before, everybody that gets saved, gets saved the same way. Faith, repentance, and conviction. Everybody always got saved the same way. It doesn't matter if it was all the way back to Abraham. Faith, repentance, and conviction. So not in that order, but that's the three things that everybody has to have to be redeemed. So, well, I think that uh, this one was already answered earlier. Do you believe people who have visions, uh, you know, to go on Dustin Dramas, psychics, mediums, and whatnot, and I think it's already uh, been stated clearly that, uh, you know, I think that the Bible is clear that we should not have anything to do with those. Do you believe them? Um, well... <laughs> 
Do they ever give you the truth? Well, maybe, maybe sometimes they get they get lucky with it. But there's only one true truth, and that's that's God. And uh, I'd just simply say that I think God forbids it. You're walking on very dangerous ground to uh, uh, to mess with with anything like that that uh, is making messing with your spirit or your mind uh, out of uh, God's control. Joel two. Is God referring to the church or Israel? Well, the, the Old Testament didn't even know the church. I mean, some things were prophesied in the church, um, just like uh, on the day of Pentecost. Is it a sin to lie to your wife in order to spare her feelings or to spare your getting the rolling pin over the head is more like it probably. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what can you say? It's a sin to lie. It's a contend to lie no matter, no matter what might be coming. Uh, if you think you're, you better be very careful when you start thinking about, well, this little white lie is going to protect somebody else's feelings and whatnot. Uh, a lie is a lie. Uh, and you can try to rationalize it, but, uh, you know, it's not right to lie. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, last 10 chapters, he talks about the new temple and Jerusalem. However, we also describe the annual sin offering. He also describes the annual sin offering. If Jesus is the last sacrifice, why is there an annual sin offering? Well, I'm not sure I'm getting the question. I mean, there were... A lot, annual sin offerings in the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't come yet. The last sacrifice hadn't been offered. The book of Ezekiel talks about the, the new temple in Jerusalem. Right. you got to keep in line, I guess, you know, again, uh, that there's a number, of, uh, a number of the Old Testament prophecies that will be fulfilled. Uh, and you got to remember that the seven years of tribulation, God is the God of everybody. He chose to use the nation of Israel as his predominant tool uh, through Israel during the Old Testament. Now he's using the church. He's still the God, and whether you're Jew or Gentile, you can still be saved. But it's the church that is his instrument, his tool that he accomplishes his work through. At the rapture, the seven years of tribulation begins. Then, uh, the, again, Jews and Gentiles can be saved, but that is a time, again, predominantly dealing with the nation of Israel. Um uh, and uh, and most has taken place. The hundred forty four thousand witnesses are all uh, are, are all Jews that are going to going to be uh, to be going out. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Paul's letter to uh, to the Thessalonians, um, I know some would uh, have trouble with this, but I don't have any trouble because I I hope I'm wrong. You ever you ever felt like that you knew something that you hoped you were wrong about? Um, I believe that if you've heard the truth during this dispensation and you've rejected that truth then uh, from what I can understand that he's writing in Thessalonians, you won't have an opportunity to believe that truth during the tribulation period. Uh, you're going to be blinded uh, to the truth because you've already rejected it. Uh, so I wouldn't count on, you know, having an opportunity. Well, I'll believe it. If, if everybody else is raptured out of here and the church is gone, then I'll know that it's true. Uh, I believe what he's pointing to there is, is the fact that, uh, no, you'll be so blinded uh, that uh, uh, you won't recognize the truth when it's, uh, when it's before you. And uh, so, yeah, there, there's, there, there's certainly uh, uh, some prophecy that will be fulfilled still dealing with the nation of Israel uh, in the new kingdom. Next. A good question. Somebody's wanting to start a fight. <laughs> what are your views on 
Women in leadership. <laughs> well, I'll tell you mine, and then while you're beating up on me, he, they can, he can give you his, you know. Uh, I guess number one, you got you got to, it's been said this way, you got to remember that all are equal in God, but everybody doesn't have the same role in God, and God has different roles in the home and in the church. Um, I can only give you scripture if you want to take and do something else with it. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that a woman is not to teach nor serve authority over the man. Uh, and, of course, he goes on to explain exactly why, and he takes it all the way back to the Garden of Eden and what took place there. Um, and, of course, we find that it's also dealt with in 1 Corinthians. We'll say this. I believe that God always, there is a distinction between man and woman. Uh, and there is a distinction in the roles, and it's not because of superiority. I'll, I will be the first to admit I have seen and heard ladies that could out-preach me and run circles around me, and that's not what it's all about. Um, I'm simply saying that I believe that there are certain roles, and, in, and it's not a primary and a secondary, but we need to fill those roles. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you're in a church where that... Uh, uh, where that women are allowed to be in, in leadership roles and, and, and uh, pastor and things like that, then go talk to your pastor about these verses and inter- interpretation because I don't see any way to get around them. Uh, and I believe that there are proper roles and that they ought to fulfill those. And the women have roles that men can't fulfill. Uh, you know, we shouldn't get upset just because that God gives things in this world that women can do that men can't. Uh, but right back to the Garden of Eden, God's had roles for each one. And I genuinely believe that we can't just take those verses out of the Bible. God has a way. And if there's not order, folks, there's going to be chaos. And God does have an order to things. Uh, and I'll even say this, though. I've seen churches that have only survived because that there were no men and because women stepped into those, those leadership roles and were willing to carry on and do the things that needed to be doing. But then I think the real spirit shows if, if God does bring men into those situations or those women to willing to step aside then and let the proper order take place. Uh, and I know that's not popular. I mean, I know a lot that would disagree, but I'm just saying if you disagree, show me in the Bible because I think God makes it very clear there. Yes. What we think about, I got to think about Phoebe, the, the, the deaconess in the, in, in the New Testament. The, uh, um, I'm, not sure what, I'm not sure what role that, that, that you're speaking of exactly. I just know that in the New Testament church, God has given these specific stipulations, and I believe that they're, you know, again, that God gives us an order, and I believe that there are situations where that, uh, uh, you know, that, that women have been in those positions and have done so rightly, but not ideally. Uh, I think there's a lot of things. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I, I'm a strong believer in the, in the local New Testament church. I believe all ministry should take place through the local church. That doesn't mean that there aren't parachurch organizations, which are churches that are outside of the church, that are not accountable to church, that aren't doing good in this world. But that's not the way that God designed it in the New Testament. And so I'm thankful for the good that they do, but that doesn't mean that it's right to do it the way that it's being done. You know, God God will accomplish things. I guess I've often used the illustration, you know, we think that, that sometimes he can only use us because we're the ones that's got it right. Uh, and yet you look at, uh, you know, I think I was speaking to somebody about something earlier this week. You look at a, you know, a Whitfield and a Wesley, you know, one was a stark Armenian, one was a stark five-point Calvinist. Uh, and, man, they had some of the most heated debates in history apparently over those subjects. And yet God chose to use them both mightily in history to accomplish his work. 
That doesn't mean they were both right. Just because God used it and because it was blessed, that doesn't mean that there's no way that they could both be right on their doctrine because they were at far extremes from each other. Uh, but they uh, they were still used of God in that. Um, I'll be happy to. I'm, I'm not sure of the instant you're talking about. I'm just. I know that in the New Testament, that God has these roles set up within the churches and certainly within the home and the family, and that we have to be careful though that uh, we don't take those to the thing to where that God has somehow degraded or put women in a second place role or that men is somehow uh, superior. Uh, there has to be an order or there's going to be chaos, and God has chosen that order, and He's the one. They said the reason he's ordered it the way that he has goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, and he gives us the explanation so that uh, so that we know that it's not because one is better, not because one is smarter, uh, but because of the way that things happen in the Garden of Eden, that it's that it's uh, that it's that way. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a look and see if we can uh, answer the, that specific, you know. Yeah, in my uh, in my mom's church, uh, which is Church of the Nazarene. Uh, they've got a, a woman pastor there. Um, but fortunately, in that church, the men, they hardly do anything at all. And um, I think that's one of the problems with the church in this country today. And also uh, in, in my wife's country as well, in Chile. And uh, whether men are not taking their positions to be leaders and to teach um, the women, will will do it and uh, take those places, and they'll do a good job. Uh, but I believe that if there are men in that congregation that are capable of doing it, um, then they, they, they should be in, in that position. Uh, only be, really because of what it says um, in the New Testament. And when you read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, I know a lot of Bibles change this, and it's not politically correct, but... Um, this is why I don't have any confidence in, in the new versions of the Bible. I believe God, it, God got it right. Um, and as the pastor was saying, it's about order. It's about ordering the creation. Um, and God has set that order. And, you know, we might not like it, but we can't change things around. Um, and when it speaks about um, deacons and um, pastors or bishops, it says that um, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire for good work. And then it goes on to say about um, about the deacons as well um, that uh, that uh, one that ruleth well his own household, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, so I think one Timothy three makes it very very clear, really. But I think you know there needs to be more men taking their um, responsibilities, taking up responsibilities within the church, uh, especially in leadership. But unfortunately, it's not happening. And because the ladies are so eager to to um, to teach and to, to help, they usually they will step into those positions. But I believe that the men are really not um, doing doing their jobs really what they're what we're created for. Uh, I don't know if it's the same in a, in the states. But same in humanity, I think, brother. <laughs> okay, so 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 again, it's, it's most of these questions we 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 could spend a long time, and and uh, and uh, you know we can only answer from a perspective that uh, I think from a biblical perspective, God has an order, and we should follow that order, and God's order is always right. He even gives us the reason, and don't let people uh, 
if you're a woman, don't let people put you down or think that you're second rate or that you can't do anything as well as, as that's that's not what it's all about. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, there are many churches that wouldn't even be in existence if it weren't for the faithful women. Uh, and uh, at the same time, try to respect God's order of things and do it in, in God's way. You know, somebody we were discussing, I don't know if, uh, uh, looking to see if yeah, she's still back there. We were talking this morning about outreach and ministry and and, and of course, you know, uh, what what extent, you know, should ladies go to on the street in ministering and things like this? Uh, and the truth is, every child of God that's ever been born again has the responsibility of being a witness, of proclaiming Jesus Christ, of giving the gospel to every creature that you come in contact with. And that's our focus. And if he can get us off, you know, many times it's, you know, you need to realize that, you uh, it's not the number one position to be the pastor. Uh, it should be the most subservient position of serving the whole congregation. Oftentimes the people have problems because they, they enjoy the position of authority, but with that authority comes tremendous, tremendous responsibility. And if you ever begin to feel that you're there because of anything other than God's grace or because that you can do it better than, than others can do it, simply God's choice and God's grace uh, my congregation, no, I'm, I'm, you know, as bad as I hate to admit, I probably falter more than anybody else. I'm not in the position of pastor because I've got it down pat and I'm more perfect and more holy in my living. Uh, God's grace needs to be very great, but I take the responsibility seriously and God has placed that order there. Uh, and uh, if we can focus upon doing what God has put us on, focusing upon truly winning lost souls to Christ and doing all we can for that uh, and just letting God uh, put us in the right places and use his, his, uh, his guidelines. Well, some of these are, are related. Can we blame Satan for all our problems? Um, well, again, no. Uh, you can, you know, um, people like to blame him. These things are covered. Does God hate Satan? These things are covered in the, uh, uh, in the thing. You know, the thing is, is that it uh, uh, says initially his creation and eventually part of the bigger plan. Um, and uh, I think, you know, there's no question that uh, uh, God hates everything about uh, uh, what Satan has become and what he has done and what he's accomplished and the people that he has influenced. And he will one day, because of it, he will face an eternity. As a matter of fact, uh, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for humankind. Humankind go there because there's only two eternal existing places, heaven and hell. Uh, and we can either go to reside with God in heaven or we can go to reside with, with Satan in hell. Uh, and uh, uh, God's wrath will be poured out upon him, and, and uh, uh, you can go and study those things. How is Christ fully man and fully God? Well, it's called a hypostatic union. It's one of the hardest things in the world to understand. But he was God and he was man, just as much God as though he'd never been man and just as much man as though he'd never been God. And I think one of the biggest things to remember when you think about that is that he came to be man to identify with us. Think about it. And so we would understand that he came here and was acquainted with our grief. He understood what maybe the a day in the life of a human being is. I mean, he was the king of glory. He laid his royal robe aside and took on flesh. And to try to explain a hypostatic union is, uh, yeah, it's just it's very very difficult. But he was because we know that he was Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. 
Did Jesus have to go through training to become a rabbi? Did he not already have all the knowledge? Well, I assume you're referring to where when they called, they referred to him as rabbi, rabbi, master, or teacher, uh, not because that he was in the position of a rabbi as the Jewish rabbi in the synagogue. He went in and upset everything that they were doing, as a matter of fact. Uh, but he was being referred to because of, uh, yes, because of his masterful teaching and and uh, and, and whatnot. Um, this one we've already answered. If a baby or child dies, will they go to heaven and what's the limit? Um, and, uh, and I think, again, you know, to, nobody can put a, a limit there. Can a person stuck in a continual sin call themselves a Christian? Can a person stuck in a continual sin call themselves a Christian? I think I think you have to... I think you as an individual have to be the judge of that. But I do know that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that he that committeth sin is of the devil. The word commit means habitually, continually practice sin. Yeah. Yeah, but but a particular sin. We know that we're we know that we I mean even by thought, word and deed we sin. But if you continually continually do the same thing over over and over and over and over again without any conviction, how can you be? How can you be considered a born again believer if the Holy Spirit's not reproving you and correcting you and convicting you of your sin? It was, but you have to remember, it was given to him. It was given to him as a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure. For Second Corinthians chapter twelve, so he wouldn't be prideful. Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses eight through ten. One particular one that would have been predominant in that day um, doesn't necessarily speaking to and huh? Well, you have to remember something. Number one, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It could have been Paul, first of all. Secondly, whoever wrote the book was writing it to the believers saying that let us, he didn't say let me, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. In that day, that sin, particular sin, I believe, was Judaism. Now, go back to 2 Corinthians and look at chapter number 10. It says that we have strongholds in our life. Now, stronghold is a fleshly fortress or a carnal castle that you let the devil build in your mind by your permission that will hinder you in your walk. And it could be something that you struggle with every single day of your life. And you may for a long time. But you're not, you're not to be dominated by that. You're still fighting the battle, but you hadn't won the war in that area yet. Okay? That would be considered, I think if, if a person is a born-again believer, I think that that would be considered a stronghold if you want to use biblical terms. I don't think it's demon possession. When the Holy Spirit moves in, who moves out? The devil does. The Holy Spirit and the devil can't take up residence in the same place. So the Holy Spirit moves in, the devil moves out. That means... a you hear a lot of uh, of the the evangelical movement in America, and the televangelists say, you know, we got to cast out the demon of alcohol, the demon of drug addiction, or the demon of tobacco. There's no demon. If you're a born again believer, you can't be possessed by a demon. He can't indwell your body, but he can invade your mind. So I think a continual habitual sin, if not, if there's no conviction there for you to try to overcome that and be a victor. I think you got to be 
you might have to question whether or not you are saved if there's no conviction there. But if you are, if you are being convicted, and there is something that you—it's a stronghold, man. It's just something that you struggle with. Um, there's conviction there, so praise God, you got an answer that that's that that's an evidence that you're saved. Um, but you know, we have to fight that. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we can't do it in our own flesh. We got to pray. You know, God would would help us in those areas. Uh, the next one's tough. Does God really love Greek people? <laughs> no, but he'll keep pretending. <laughs> okay. What does it mean when the Bible says the life is in the blood? That's what somebody's about to lose back there, I think. That <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, again, I mean, there is a sermon on the website that, that, that deals with, with this issue uh, in great detail. It's not something you're going to cover easily, but uh, I think there's a couple of things that you can point to quickly there. And that, uh, uh, number one, that is how that uh, the whole sustenance of life is carried is through the blood system, and that's how it's passed on. Uh, you've never met anybody that's alive without blood. Uh, it just uh, it just don't happen, I'm afraid. When you drain the blood out, the life is gone, uh, and everything else is going to uh, to quit working. Uh, and of course, life is passed on from 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 one to uh, uh, to the other. And I believe that again that all this ties in. And again, you're listed the, the whole all of it ties in. That's why that uh, uh, Jesus Christ didn't have to just die. Uh, he had to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Uh, that was the ultimate sacrifice because the life is in the blood. That was the ultimate sacrifice that could be paid, the only sacrifice that could be paid. And so, therefore, uh, again, don't let people kid you. Uh, one comment was made about something earlier in the week. Uh, let me remind you, stick to Bible terms and what God says. You know, there's also some today that would go around and, and, and teach that that Jesus Christ had to go to hell and suffer the torments of hell for our sin. Well, sh the Bible never said that anybody had to suffer the torments of hell for their sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Um, you know, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Uh, hell is an abiding place. That's not the consequences of your sin. Death is the consequences of your sin, and death will spend eternity in hell, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus Christ had to die because that was the ultimate payment that had to be paid for your sins. And the life is in the blood. He had to shed his blood. That blood sacrifice is what was required. And boy, that's one of those old words that uh, uh, that I like in our old Bible, propitiation. Uh, he was a propitiation not just for our sins only, the Bible says, but for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifice was sufficient. The blood sacrifice that he gave, it appeased, it met every demand that God had, and we know that because of the resurrection, praise God, because he would never have been able to rise from the dead had it not been met fully uh, by the sacrifice that he had uh, had carried there. But there, there, there is a sermon on that. Anybody else got anything? Uh, James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil. So how could Jesus, being God, be tempted in the wilderness. Well, I, I, don't, I don't mind. I mean, I, I felt like I'm just uh, rattling on it. Well, I think first thing, you know, without looking at precisely, I mean, you got to remember that uh, uh, tempted uh, can carry two two connotations with it, of course, being tempted to uh, to evil 
<coughs> which uh, uh, certainly God will never do. He will never uh, never tempt someone to uh, uh, to do anything that is evil or is uh, is sinful. Um, by the same time, it means to be tried and to be tested in in, in some places. And uh, of course, Satan did uh, try to tempt Satan. Uh, Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness uh, when he was there for the 40 days. And, of course, uh, this is referred to in many different ways and many different things. Uh, but uh, um, I guess in the sense of the process taking place, it didn't happen there. Uh, Jesus could not be tempted. Satan tried to tempt him. When Satan tempted him, he put something before him. But I can assure you, it never, ever, ever even entered Jesus' mind to give in to that temptation that was put to him. Um, God cannot be tempted to act upon anything that is evil, and he will never attempt to get anyone else to act upon anything that is, is evil. And I think one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from the temptations in the wilderness is that in every instance, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, said, it is written. It is written. He fought Satan with the Word of God, and he was God himself. So, um, um, you know, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're, I hope that's what you're, uh, uh, what you're, uh, what you're asking there. Uh, God, don't ever feel, God will never tempt or test you in a way to get you to do evil. Uh, God will allow temptations and trials to come into your life uh, that you might be built and grow up and, and, and learn from those things and that good can be accomplished. God never wants you to sin but he'll allow you to learn from, from that sin when he knows that you will. Um, and, uh, and, and that all tied back in, Satan is the one that will tempt you, try to solicit you to do that evil thing, but you'll make the choice as to whether that uh, you do it or not. Yeah, there's uh, a verse in James chapter 1, and it says in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and Really, this can go along with uh, what happened with Eve in the garden. You know, God had already told Eve, uh, Adam, um, what, what, they, what they were supposed to do, what they were not supposed to do. But Eve, she gave in to the tempter, to, to Satan. And that's because it says here that uh, she was tempted because she was drawn away of her own lust. And, um, but as the pastor was saying, that God allows will allow the t temptation, but the Bible also says that he also provides a way out as well. I think it's in 1 Corinthians, isn't it? 10, something like that. Yeah, 13, yeah. Real quick, let's remember. I don't know who wrote the question, but remember, temptation is not sin. Okay? When you're tempted, you're going to be tempted 365 days a year. But temptation's not sin. It's when you yield to the temptation is when it becomes sin. Jesus didn't sin because it says that we have not a high priest, Hebrews 4, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. There's, there's the difference. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but he didn't yield to it. He couldn't. He was spotless. But we know we're flesh, but we can have victory over temptation, and the temptation's not sin. It's when you yield to it and you say yes to it is when it becomes sin. And I think, you know, keep, keep in mind that uh, that word can be used in more than one way. <laughs> Jesus was tempted in the sense that Satan tried to solicit him to do evil. 
but Jesus was never tempted within himself. He, he, it never, ever, ever was even a possibility to enter his mind to give in to that sin when, when Satan brought it before him. Jesus wasn't tempted within himself, though Satan himself was tempting him in the sense of putting that solicitation before him. It was never possible. And yet, as the Bible says, he was tempted in all points like as we are. That means that all those things that you're having to face, it was put before him, but it was impossible for him to be tempted by that as far as giving giving into it. Do you think Jesus knew who he was from birth as far as being God? Is that what somebody's asking? I think it I think it would have been I think it would have been tough as an infant to know that he was God. At what point maybe we're asking at what point in his human life uh, did he come to recognize that he was God in, incarnate no, we're, we're never. Matter of fact, it's an interesting thing that 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 from the time he was probably about two year old in, in in Egypt, to the time that he was twelve year old being brought to the temple, uh, the Bible doesn't shed a lot. We know he was raised in a carpenter's home with, by by his parents and whatnot. We know that by the time that he was twelve years old, that what was being exhibited by him in the temple was very obvious to others. Whoa, there's something different about uh, about this one. Um, but you know. I, I plead dumbness from the standpoint. I don't know that the Bible gives us an inkling as to exactly when in his life that he began to uh, uh, to realize and make that claim for himself. What should be more important, a man's ministry or his family? Well, I believe when a man's called in the ministry, in the full-time vocational ministry, I believe God calls his family too. I don't believe he'd call a man and then not call his family. Doesn't mean it ain't going to be difficult, but... If you'll ask any th- any of these these two men and myself, we know that the sobering fact of it is if we don't have a family, we don't have a ministry. If we forsake and neglect and lose our family in the process of ministering to people, we don't have a ministry. So it's a kind of a it's kind of a, a two-sided coin. You, you know, the ministry yes is important, but God did ordain the family before he did the the ministry and the church. I mean, he did ordain the, the family. And so we need to be cautious of that. And um, so I don't know who asked it, but I hope that'll be a help. Yeah, I would simply say that uh, there are so many things. Can I, I, I believe, first of all, it's very important that we recognize on the one hand that if you're in God's will, you're with the person that God truly willed you to be with as your spouse, number one. He's not going to call one of you into the ministry and not the other. As a matter of fact, with the mission organization that we serve, it is absolute requirement that both the husband and the wife uh, sign that they absolutely know that God has a calling upon their life. You can't go and serve uh, with one being called and the other one not being called. Uh, and so, so I think when God calls a person, that is that is a, that is something to consider. On the other hand. I do know that uh, that uh, that people have turned from God. I I know a man that spent his whole life on the mission field because after he surrendered to missions, his wife chose that was not a life for her, and she left him. Um, now, I would certainly say, I don't know all the circumstances. I would have thought his first priority should have been to try to put his house back in order. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, that uh, strange things, you know, happened that I wouldn't want to have to answer for. Um, and I think sometimes that... Uh, it's difficult when in the ministry, especially as the children come along, they say, well, I didn't have any choice in this. 
uh, you know, I didn't ask to be born into uh, a minister's home or, or, or something like that. And, uh, and some respond to it more than others. And again, I think that uh, I've seen times when I would say that uh, there was a, uh, there was one point in my own ministry when I seriously thought not of turning my back on God, but by, I did think very seriously about leaving the ministry for a while uh, because of struggles with my own children that uh, I feel is always my responsibility. And as a father, I can't leave those things. Um, and you can certainly begin to question, you know, again, if you don't have your own household in, in order, then uh, it's kind of difficult to get up and tell others. Uh, and, and in the end, it can be a, a fine balancing act. But, uh, uh, you know, I would uh, I would think that on the one hand, the family has to see that God is number one. Uh, by the same token, I don't think that God asks a man to sacrifice his family, sacrifice loving his family, sacrifice meeting the needs of his family in order to do the ministry. Uh, and it can be a very fine balancing act sometimes. And uh, and uh, and I think particularly, you know, when you're trying to balance all these things with, uh, with your times from all of those things, uh, hopefully, you know, I think that you'll find that... Uh, in most instances, uh, God knows these things when he calls a person and he gives him a, a family. And it's just like, you know, that, uh, you know, I can honestly say, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that for me, uh, our three children that are, that are still here in Birmingham and, and serving in the church is one of the greatest uh, benefits and blessings uh, to their mother and I uh, that, uh, that the Lord could possibly give us. And, uh, and you know, Honest confession, I, there is no doubt. Have I have I failed my wife and children sometimes? Yes, I was a pastor's son. My father, both my grandfathers were all pastors. And there was times that I felt a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, I don't think jealousy is the right word. Uh, I, there, there was times that I felt like, you know, that I wished I had more time with my dad uh, when, you know, he was at this with the church and that with the church and other things with the church, and I would have loved to have had more time with him. At the same time, I never, I'm, I've never felt like that uh, that my dad uh, did not love me uh, or was not there for me when I needed him to be. Uh, he was a very busy man in the ministry, and, and, and I would have, you know, uh, uh, I would have enjoyed a lot more time with him, but I never felt like that I was forsaken because he was doing the Lord's business. And I guess with my own children, I'd be foolish to think that I haven't failed at times, and I've probably gotten my priorities wrong at times. But uh, I have never would want my children to question my love for them and my willings, willingness to sacrifice the world for them, uh, but at the same time to know that God has to be number one in all of our lives. He has the place of preeminence where he has no place at all. And uh, and so I don't, you know, I don't want them to question that I could never turn my back on God for them, um, but that I would I would do anything, even down to I honestly believe, you know, draining the last ounce of blood out of my body for them that I could possibly in this life. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I believe that as far as the ministry goes, it can be a, a trying time, but a very balancing thing. Um, these last two are so serious, I'm not sure if we'll fit them in, but uh, the first one is directed specifically to you, a little bit irreverently, I might say. It doesn't even have your full name. It just says Beeve, um, which uh, I'm not real sure that's uh, appropriate. But uh, have you ever thought of investing in a wig? Actually, I have one. 
I don't bring it on the trip because y'all wouldn't know what I'd look like with one with one on. But I do have a wig. It, where's Where's that photo? Anybody have it on their phone still? You still? Is Shelly here? Shelly will be back in a little bit. Tyler's got it. Yeah. I, I do have a wig that I wear during the holidays as a as a prank to some of my friends. It is a flat top mullet. If you know what a mullet is. Yeah, Dog the Bounty Hunter. It's a, a flat top with a mullet on the back, and it's really nice. I kind of like it. It's blonde. And so uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for asking. Before I ask the last question, um, because I think it's suitable to be left as the last comment of the day, um, but, uh, but, but let me just say, I, I should have introduced, I don't know, for those of you that don't know Steve, uh, Steve is a licensed minister and deacon here in our church, which uh, uh, he really is uh, uh, my right-hand man to, to be there, to fill the pulpit for me, to support me. He feels like God's called him not as a pastor at this point, uh, but as an evangelist. And that's why that, uh, you know, he's one of those uh, unusual beings that feels more comfortable preaching on the street than he does behind a pulpit. Uh, though he's willing to preach behind a pulpit when he has to, he'd rather be out there in the open air proclaiming Jesus. And that's a gift. And he has a real heart for winning souls and a real heart for the children's work here in our church. And I thank God for him. And, uh, and I guess, how many years have you been here at Bethel now, Steve? Nine years, I think. Uh, he and his wife met. His wife, Angelica, is from South America. They met while they were both doing short-term missionary work in Israel. And uh, God allowed them to meet there and come together. And Steve's originally from Blackpool. Uh, he ended up in Birmingham working with the Birmingham City Mission. And, uh, and again, God, through some, some kind of unusual circumstances, brought him here, and we've not been able to get rid of him since and uh, don't want to. But, uh, but he's a great gift to our church, and he does have the gift of an evangelist on his life, and we thank, thank God for that. Uh, and, of course, uh, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm not a theologian, and, and, and all these questions I just try to answer from my heart, and we're here. And if, if you've asked something that we haven't uh, fully answered that we can answer better, because a lot of these questions we could we could uh, we could spend a whole week on, let alone you know, we try to fit so much into this short time. Because I know you're tired, uh, and I know that uh, that you've got to be able to. We've got to keep changing, you know, going through these quick, um, in order to uh, for you to stay awake. But but and and again, that's why we don't make this a required session for somebody that really needs to sleep. Go for it. Uh, but we've always found it a time that we've just enjoyed and we want to be able to, uh, to at least, uh, answer from our ability. And we know we always get asked a, a few controversial questions usually. Um, and, uh, and I say this, you know, we're, we're not ashamed of who we are and where we stand, but it is never our intention to undermine the ministry of your church where you're from. Uh, if there are, are differences there, we're here to support you and encourage you in this weekend. We're not here to make everybody uh, an independent Baptist, uh, and uh, and so you know if you disagree with us, that's fine. And I'm even I'm very happy to talk with you about any of these things on a one-on-one. And I never want you to uh, to get the impression that we're trying to uh, cram our ways down or or make you feel bad if you don't see it the way that we that we see it. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity, and uh, and we just give you this opportunity to to put us on the spot because we have no idea what's going to be in these boxes. And sometimes it's, uh, uh, it's, it's quite uh, interesting uh, with, the, with some of the questions you can come up with. Anything you want to say before I give you this final question, brother? 
Dear Mr. Beaver, I have heard that you were once a breakdancing champion. We need evidence if we are to believe this fact. <laughs> I think there is a verse that says, be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> we want to see the evidence. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I do. I know exactly who it is. Anyway, I will say this. <laughs> the scripture. <laughs> yeah, meet me at Nando's Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Um, the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And old things are passed away, and behold, all things are come, become new. Um, yeah, I used to be pretty good. <laughs> Somebody accused me of being a black man and a white rapper one time. So, But no, I... Uh, I'll give you a little background, and we'll talk and discuss it maybe later. But um, I used to dance with a group, and, and, and this you'll get a kick out of this. I used to dance with a group. Now, this is before Christ, all right, so don't be staring darts at me. This is before I was saved. But I danced with a group, and we... Yeah, this is... Yeah, this... Yeah. No, I used to dance with a, with a crew. And it was two other black lads and myself, and they called us the Oreo crew. <laughs> and uh, so I was I was the white stuff in the middle, all right? That's all I'm going to say. But anyway, but, but, but yeah, that was a long time ago. And uh, actually, pray, I, I saw one of those guys about two years ago, and I got to witness to him, and uh, he, was, he was receptive. But he didn't get saved, so just just pray. But uh, yeah, that was my old life, and that's one of the things I used to do. Used to be a DJ too. So. But God, uh, God called me, and is uh, praise God. His grace is sufficient, Amen. That <laughs> uh, I guess that's that's uh, part of what we're talking about a while ago. I guess a lot of things there are things in your past that. Uh, uh, you wouldn't bring up, but uh, but on the other on the hand, when others bring them up, God's grace uh, God's grace is sufficient uh, because there's uh, you know I've been, I've had things tossed in my face that I would never have brought up myself, uh, but uh, but thank God that uh, He does forgive. But uh, but yeah, uh, I will say this: if you get really close to Him, the recording is off, right? Um, there was a demonstration given last year. <laughs> Not in the church building, though, out on the front. <laughs> but he, he, he gave a pretty good demonstration uh, that, uh, that he still had a little bit of movement in those older limbs anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but listen, guys, we, we love all of you. We thank you for being here. And, uh, and you know, this, this year has, has been a tremendous conference, even though that we, uh, we had quite a few less young people than last year, but we didn't invite anybody new. Uh, and, uh, and of course, some of the groups were just smaller from the other churches, but I think it was Dave and I talking last night, you know, we've never, uh, we've never tried to make it. We realize we've always tried to keep it intimate. We like being here in, in the church building where everybody's together rather than having to hire some more halls. And, and, and if we can keep it that way for those that, that are interested, that's what we want. We thank you. You're what makes it special for us. 
Uh, we, you know, we we started out one of being blessed, but you're the blessing to us, and we just we just are so grateful that you're willing to come and be with us, and uh, and I think this is uh, again one of the smallest numbers we've had left on on Sunday, but yet at the same time God has worked wonderfully this week, and of course the conference for us as a church has been going on since last Sunday, so it's been all week long, and and uh, and it's God's done some wonderful things, and we just want it to be lasting things. Uh, and so you keep praying for us. We pray for you. We thank God for the opportunity that we have to, to have this time together and be an encouragement to each other. And we truly want you to be able to go out there and be soldiers of the Lord, uh, to win others to Christ, and that uh, God willing, we can all, uh, if, if not before, uh, if the rapture doesn't take place between now and then, that we can uh, be back here next year and uh, and maybe have others here that we've had the privilege of being able to show the way to Christ in the meantime. 